you miserable fuck. Man, why don't you tell me this shit? I fucking call it loose. The Holy Terrors, 9 to 2 every night this week, they fucking suck. There's nothing you can do to make them ever sound good. I'm sorry. Maybe apart from shoving up a fucking electrified fence pole up their assholes, turning the power to full, and recording the screaming. Otherwise, forget it. Anyway, fucking work me in, man. I want to get in there, and I don't, have, I don't want to have to wait until 3 in the fucking morning when you're asleep. Or maybe we can. But I want to fucking record tonight, man, so arrange something. I'm going to call you at the studio later tonight if you fail again to return my call. This is ridiculous, man. You should give all the fucking time to me. They suck. Just ban them from the studio outside. You can't do anything for them. They suck. They're wussy-ass rockers. About as intense as in excess. Maybe more intense than Phil Collins. And less intense than Counting Crows. They suck. Get a fucking grip, babe. All right, later, bye. Oh, and bring your fucking bass. And don't blow me off. I'm going to get in there and fucking rock tonight. Bring your goddamn bass. See you, bye. Albummitgliedern hat mich verrückt gemacht. Dieses Albummitgliedern hat mich verrückt gemacht. Is this tomorrow is an ancient esoteric religion that is practiced by only a few remaining individuals distributed around the surface of the earth? Like bits of Italian gravy splattered on the wall behind the stove of a house in Brooklyn, in 1937, Is This Tomorrow, has as one of its core tenets, the complete rejection of all forms of logical thought. The very rarefied atmosphere inhabited by its practitioners, is akin to that experienced by a swarm of gnats, who sensing a rainstorm approaching, do nothing about it and are drowned and washed away into a muddy creek to be consumed by hungry little fish. Is This Tomorrow offers no practical solutions to the problems of humanity. Is This Tomorrow has little in the way of dogma, codified teachings, or apparently meaningful but mundane symbols, pointed at by men with beards in black and white photos. Become a disciple today. Is This Tomorrow.com Is This Tomorrow.com Enlightenment can be yours, but not here. I'm listening to this album so many times yeah. in my life up to now, and then a lot of times just prepping for it. And uh, I mean, ain't it fucking great? I mean, it, it, isn't it delicious? It, it is. is. And let's actually let's get into it. Let me do the intro so we can talk sure. about it proper and get it all recorded. Okay. Although Barry was recording all that. Anyway. I'm recording we'll all that. Probably anyway. take the uh, Nazi stuff out. No, the know. Nazi stuff will come <laughs> out, but 
<laughs> anything that's anything that's compromising to any guest will take out. I'm but just, anything interesting gets left in. I'm sure. I'm anti-fascist. I'm just saying. Just yeah, yeah. The bad, <laughs> you, you want to go on record? Tom Smith is going on record as the, saying Nazis are bad. <laughs> All right. Well, some low-hanging oppositional proof. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah. It's true. It's true. All right. Welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. And we'd like to welcome you all to another episode. Real quick, before we do anything else, we have a new patron. The uh, enigmatic, enigmatically named uh, Frank. He just said Frank. No, so. I showed his last name, I think. No, it just said Frank on that no, one. No, on the email I got, it said his name. So oh, did it really? we got to uh, out him. Hold no, on. No, no, but I don't know. He just put Frank on the Patre- Patreon, so maybe he doesn't want, to want his last name on there. Let's just welcome Frank uh, to as our newest patron. You could go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Tabino. Frank Tabino. Okay, well. Welcome, Frank. Barry just outed him. Welcome, <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, Jewish name. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You could become a patron as well. All right, so we have a guest. Uh, we're all the way in Germany. We're talking to him. Uh, welcome, uh, Mr. Tom Smith. How are you doing, Tom? Welcome to the show. I'm thanks. I'm uh, thanks. How are you, fine? <laughs> we're good. Uh, now, you are, I, I can say, I, I'm going to say that you're classified, we'll call you a noise musician because. Wikipedia, that's what it says on Wikipedia. So I usually go, whatever it says on Wikipedia about someone, well, I did say. you do your own Wikipedia entry? Well, but he could change, he, but he could, he could have changed it. If it was anything egregious, he would change it. So I'm thinking that's okay, dude. You, you don't mind being. Although, I know you're not a big, uh, you're not big into genres, right? Well, I just think it's, uh, well, first of all, you know, when you're married at the hip with Rat Bastard for the last 40 years, I mean, what? Yeah. Do I have? And then secondly, <laughs> um, secondly, I mean to be banal and didactic about it. Yeah, you know, I think if you embrace something, you're stuck with that thing forever. And if you're fluid and liquid about it, you know, you can do anything you want to yeah. forever. Right, right. Just think that's who you are. So I was always interested in growing, doing this until I die, instead of being the the old noise dude, you know, with the, telling the kids to get off his lawn. <laughs> right. and, Which uh, basically is rat. You yeah, just described right. rat. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, rat doesn't care. You know, and he doesn't rat. care. You're right. He doesn't give a shit. All right. So for, for those of you who don't know, Tom Smith is the uh, the founder of uh, To Live and Shave in L.A. with uh, the aforementioned Mr. Rat Bastard. Also, uh, cool. Peach, you did Peach, Peach, of, immortality. Peach of Immortality. And uh, uh, Pussy Galore. You were a member of Pussy Galore, which I didn't realize that. But I saw that online, too, so lineup and uh, lots and lots of other bands uh, here and in Europe and back in the States. I've been very lucky you know, all my right. life, 45 years almost now, doing this stuff, you know. So, yeah, it's great. I love it. So I want and to ask you, you, um, you came from, you knew Don Fleming early on. You guys were together. Is that correct? Don lived down the street from me in this little village in, called Adel, Georgia. Adel, Georgia, yes. Rat has been there before, you know. Uh, some other people came from there, like Ray McKinnon, the guy who uh, created uh, Rectify. He w- was in the same class as Don. Wow. So it's a weird sort of something happened in the water supply, alien yeah. visitation something, you know. Yeah, that sounds approximately correct. <laughs> yeah, and we all got the fuck out, and uh, it's still there, and it's, you know, where my parents died. And it's, uh, you know, my You have not one... Lived- Hint of a Georgia accent, I must say. Oh no, no! Well, I, I got to tell you something, guys. I'm I'm uh, I'm not proud of it, 
But when I was 13, I heard myself on a tape recorder, and I thought, this is not going to stand. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know what That's you it. mean. I know what you mean. It, it was more like that, you know. Wow. And, uh, but, and you actually were able to do something about it, though. That's pretty uh, well, you know, Im- impressive. The first, couple, the first couple of years, it's kind of pretentious sounding because you're overcompensating and, uh, you know, exaggerating. But, you know... After a couple of years, I got the hang of it and started doing radio at the university. And they made me and all the other students back then take voice and diction classes yeah, and yeah. national and all that stuff. So uh, when I'm back there, I can talk with a normal people like that. Really? Well, I would yeah, like right. to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in the, I grew up in rural Florida, so I. Well, maybe you and you Barry. Know? Maybe by the end of the episode, you and Barry will get into some uh, some vibe. Yes. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah, yeah, damn man. straight. Uh, Barry, uh, where's Cooter? He's out there fixing <laughs> that dodge. That's right. He's a kid. <laughs> Barry, <laughs> I didn't mention this to you, Barry, but uh, uh, and I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have to put it on here. But Tom is also noted for leaving a very hurtful message on a on a, a message machine regarding my old band, the Holy Terrors, at Rat Studio. Very nice. That, Good job. Uh, that we put- I've been practicing my apology <laughs> not today for weeks, but for years. No, it was awesome. It was actually so awesome that we put it at the end of our, our record. Yeah, on there, it really I know you did. So yes. there's no way I could hide from that or pretend to <laughs> It was very, I mean, it was vicious. As it, was, it was almost beautiful in the, how... Vicious it was, but it was it was but great. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that, that Rat never mentioned, or that really I guess I can never talk to you or or anyone else about. You know, and uh, it's that I didn't even know you guys. I didn't know what you sounded like. I right. was just yeah. irritated. <laughs> I was irritated with Rat because I wanted to record that day. exactly, and exactly. I, so uh, and I was yeah, for <laughs> making me have to wait a few days when in fact. I was in the studio like constantly, so I shouldn't have complained. <laughs> but you know, things was, happen. You know, it worked out. I was really quite horrible. For many <laughs> you were. Well, Barry's going to play. I'm going to get that to Barry, and he's going to put it on here definitely. Um, all right. So we didn't even mention. I'm quite embarrassed about that. So let me apologize. Oh, to no, you. no need. Not not necessary. But thank you. I, I uh, uh, graciously accept it. <laughs> I'm just gonna. Character. I'm just gonna say that you were probably in the right, Tom. Uh, I'm he was partially. No. He, be, he <laughs> made some good points. <laughs> As usual, Tom made some good points. All right, Tom. We yeah. we didn't mention the record that you brought to us. Uh, so, what record oh. are we going to talk about today? Hmm. Well, listen. It's it's Barry Manilow live at the Copacabana. Oh, shit. Great. <laughs> That's the one it. I prepared for. Perfect. <laughs> Nobody knows this, but Genesis PR did all the mixing. <laughs> really convulsively yeah. subversive. Or maybe we could talk about something else instead. Maybe the third and extremely misunderstood album by The Saints. Yeah. Australian band who came to fame in 76 with this amazing single called I'm Stranded. Right. Coped by EMI to England where they slowly died because they did not look like punk standard canonical punk rockers. They were chubby and ugly with long hair and their music was astonishing, but they just did not fit in and after two years they were finished. This was their final album. It's called Prehistoric Sounds. Prehistoric Sounds, that's right. Really, really extraordinary album that deserves to be on everyone's shelf 
uh, on Discogs, it's like 40 bucks a pop for the original vinyl, but you can get the CD reissue for nothing. And it's an amazing, amazing record. It really is. And I'll be honest, I, I, I talked to Barry a little bit before just to ask, and neither me or we, Barry had I ever heard this record I had never heard before. Prehistoric Sound. And I, and, and I know oh. the Saints, and I, and I had that, their first record. Sure. Uh, and I listen, and I had, and I remember listening to their second record too. But I had no idea, and I'm sure there are many people that wait. The Saints have a third record, that, yeah. And because I thought, because all right, so the singer uh, Chris Bailey, two main guys, Chris Bailey and Ed uh, Cooper, is that how you pronounce it? Cooper, Cooper, yeah. okay. Well, his family's originally from Germany, but just say Cooper. It's okay. Cooper, okay. Uh, yeah, so I thought they kind of, like, Ed left after the second record. I didn't know they made this third record, and it is amazing. But also, it, it, it's interesting, we discussed, we were just talking about um, uh, genres, how you're not interested in genre. That's, we were saying... Yeah, you can't, the problem with it is that when someone, they go to market it, they go, well, okay... Uh, you know yeah, how. how okay you got my, my the way I've phrased it with talking to Rob was okay the Stooges and the Ramones made a Van Morrison record and so you got that's great that's yeah. a really nice thing to say you know if, if you think back uh, again not to be too much of a teacher I mean that is my day job but not to be too much of a teacher <laughs> Go ahead. but you know like the Ramones were rehearsing in 74 and they had some of the songs on the first album uh, the Pistols really started with Rotten in 75, but Cook and Jones and this mysterious Wally Nightingale guy had a, had a concert at some pub as the, as the Swankers in war, uh, right? Yeah. But the Saints, it, there's an album that was released by the Australian label Hot a couple of, like a decade and a half ago called The Most Primitive Band in the World. In 74, <laughs> They had the whole first album and the second single, basically. Yeah. I mean, they were playing already. Right, yeah, right. They were so advanced. Yeah. And so if those are the three prongs of the established history of punk as we know it, they are really way ahead of the other two yeah. at the starting. And if you listen to that first album that Rod Cope produced in Brisbane, it's like so incredible, you know? Not just the fast songs, but like that beautiful ballad story of love and yeah yeah epic, right right long songs like erotic neurotic and then nights in venice will blow your head off it's so powerful the second album is a bit more structured with long with shorter songs but this one the anomaly is the third one it's like right. what is this and i love your, your your analogy of like they make a van morrison album at the time Van Morrison in 74 made this album called Beat and Fleece. Yeah. Which I still listen to to this yeah. day. It's embarrassing for me to talk about it because... Yeah, it's a great record. <laughs> idiots like, you know, the guys from R.E.M. will be like, yeah, I love that album. So I, I try to keep it quiet because it's also associated with people with bad taste. But, <laughs> but Beat and Fleece is like a perfect sort of Van Morrison record for me. And it's like, yeah, what if the Ramones were intelligent enough to make Beat and Fleece? It would maybe sound like prehistoric sounds. That's a really good analogy, you guys. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah so basically, but it, it's crazy. All right, so Tom, would, uh, did you hear this record like in real time? Because it came out in 1978. So were you, uh, were you a fan already exactly, of the Saints? I know exactly where I was. I, listened, I bought it at Wax and Facts in Atlantic in real time i have my copy right beside me that's why i was oh, asking wow um 
And uh, I mean, uh, it's not my original company. I had to rebuy it, but I have my copy of the vinyl album from EMI UK with me right now. The original is gone with the wind. Who knows? But yeah, right. Uh, but you know that happens with your old record collections. <laughs> well, but, wait a second. Who brought in well, their original copy of a record, and we were like, "Holy shit!" Oh yeah, that's it, the one. Was it Velvet? Was it Velvet Underground? No, I forget. Someone the, did. The I fall forget. was who did who brought in and showed up and was like, "Oh no, this is the record I bought back in." Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. It is. It is kind of rare now because it's just what happens. You know, life life happens, and you move all over the fuck. Especially you, Tom. Yeah. You've been all over the place, so uh, it happens. It but happens. this is one the original stock, you know, for sure. And uh, so, what anyway. did you think? Uh, so, what did you think when you got this record? Because obviously, it was yeah. You you already you, you already liked this band and knew they were a great band. It was non-canonical at the time. Well, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was renting a room with this guy who was a furniture maker, and he also liked to go out to the bars at night, you know, and so I kind of had front of the house. And it was a pretty tony neighborhood in Atlanta. It was quite nice, and I, I got it at Wax and Facts. I put it on my stereo. I had a red light bulb, you know, in my room. You know, he had, of it was course. a very manor house, but I was like the freak, you know, tenant, so... Shocker. I on the, <laughs> Shocker, Tom. <laughs> on the, I know. I know. <laughs> Turn on the red light, put on, put it on, and at first I was like, what the, you know? Yeah. But after, after the second play, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And after the third, I was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is incredible. So it hit me really fast. And there's some guy, some, you know, doofus who writes for all music who said nobody liked it at the time. Uh, I to differ, you know? Yeah. Right, I mean, it right. take me couple of plays to think okay it's not going to be boom 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 instead it's something that really opens up their horizons and yeah. mind because it was like who thought about Tamla Motown right punk, you know yeah yeah that's I, that's what just really blows me away and and the, the the execution was so perfect and then I looked at the credits and I'm like Oh my God! The guy who mixed Nevermind the Bollocks mixed to this record. Uh, no one. Okay. So good. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and, and and that's Bill Price. He engineered and mixed it, and it uh, just okay, sounds okay. amazing when you listen to all the stuff that's going on. It's perfect. yeah. Who arranged and, the horns? Who's the horn arranger on the record? Was it the band or I, I don't? I, so, didn't, I didn't have the credits. So I always forget. There's there's four guys who play, but. Yeah, Roger Cockwell did all the arrangements, all the saxophones, piano. I think actually, uh, uh, Ivor Hay, the drummer, played organ on a couple of songs. Uh-huh, you can really cool. that. all right. But Great. most of the piano is all done by Cockwell, uh-huh. and the other guys play, you know, trumpet, trombone, sax. Uh, amazing guys, and they really helped shape these. And their arrangements are not just tasteful. They, they stab and underline yes, just yes, right yeah. well, they, every, that's the thing they're like a, that's what reminded me of a Van Morrison record is that they're they're not just playing along they're commenting and they're providing you know structure and they're providing yeah. uh, 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 um, elucidation for what's going on in the in the songs yeah. and and sometimes you know uh, sometimes when I haven't listened to this album for a couple of years, I pull it out or, you know, rack up an MP3 or something. Yeah. And I'll, I'll play like the third song. Uh, every day's a holiday. Uh-huh. And is party time. <laughs> and when you listen to that production, 
by Chris Bailey and Ed Cooper and, and the mix by Bill Price, it gives me chills. Yeah. So phenomenal. Yeah, yep. But does. this was uh, but this was the uh, final straw for the original lineup of the band, correct? Yeah, I, you, know, I mean, you can you can see, I mean, I haven't uh, maybe like you to. I, I really always root for the underdogs, you know, even yeah. though again, at the spear point, I mean, the spearhead, the forefront of all things punk, but you know, they had, they withered so quickly in London. They did not they they needed to be in back in Australia. Yeah. You know where they dirty and Nobody yeah, gave a they're, the, they're, they're not the only band that uh, we've covered that had that same exact problem. And uh, the go-betweens, yeah. the go-betweens, a completely different, uh, you know, kettle of fish. But they moved to London and lived there for quite some time, and then we're finally like, "Fuck it, we're out. Go back. We're going back to Australia." And they went back to Australia and made what turned out to be their uh, most successful record. Yeah, and I, I, maybe if these guys had done that a, a year or two before, you know, I mean, I. I yeah. From what I've read, from what I've read uh, well, I mean, it wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't have been the same. And they had a label there that supported them for a while. But I mean, uh, when you think about bands and labels, you know, like why did why did EMI dump Wire after One Five Four when they actually charted pretty high in the yeah. top fifty with the album? It's like, yeah. And you know, my theory on that is that why, is that the guys in Wire were such a gigantic pain in the ass that they were like, fuck it, we're out. <laughs> the record company was like, okay, guys, uh, we're, you know, there was some potential here, but you're driving us nuts, so. As a band, as a member of a band that has no personal problems, <laughs> I don't relate to what you're saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, All right, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, let's start getting into the record. Uh, let's get into the first song. Let's listen to the opening track, Swing for the Crime. guitars uh, yeah. are, are um, in there and I hadn't even thought about it until now I was like because uh, the horns grab you so fiercely and I was like oh wow there's no electric in there or if there is it, there is but it's just playing a little melody right the melody it's but actually being driven heavy strummed it's acoustic. being driven yeah. by those acoustic guitars uh, and, and the also, voice you know the voice is amazing Bailey is so uh, acerbic and sarcastic and cynical 
and throughout the album, and his delivery is really non-pereal. It's oh, unbelievable. It, it, it is. That's the thing. It, it, the delivery. And you know what I was thinking? That that kid that sings. Well, he's not a kid anymore. What? That kid that sings for the <laughs> for the Strokes. Um, uh, Julian uh, Casablancas. He owes he yeah. owes this Chris Bailey like some royalties or something because basically that's I realized oh god that kid does yeah. is trying to that's do Chris right. Bailey. That's it. I mean that's what he sounds like exactly. But yeah, his like you said his delivery. He's got that don't give a fuck swagger uh, when he sings. And he's it's got that perfect. mid he's got a mid mid range voice like a uh, um, what do you call it that slightly baritone voice and he doesn't. Uh, you know, he doesn't, it's just um, a little lower than your average rock singer and a little um, more snide than most people could deliver a, a vocal, you know. Well, I mean, let, let's, first of all, let's compare this douchebag from the, from the Strokes to <laughs> a real singer. Okay? I mean, yeah, right. uh, Casablanca's uh, will go to his deathbed wishing that he were somebody. You know? Yeah. And uh, Bailey lived it forever. You can yeah, tell. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. still, as I rec- my readings on the Saints, they are still performing. I don't know which lineup is actually extant, but it's they are. A, it, it's it's. Uh, well, you know, I, re- I wish we could talk to both Ed and Chris right now to to, to have the, the the current word. But I know that they got back together for some special shows in 2009, and I don't think they've been back together since. Oh, okay. Right, okay. right. All right. Uh, somebody, is, somebody plays as the Saints. But, yeah, um, it may be a, you know, one guy with the Using name. Using the name since about 1980, you know? Yeah, right. And, uh, but also, Ed Cooper's band, the Aints, great name. <laughs> the Aints. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> their albums, their, I, I had never heard of them. To be honest, and I was in New York doing some shows with Philip and Shave in LA, and I was staying with Don Fleming. And Don said, "Have you heard this?" And he pulled out two albums by the Aints, and I was like, "What?" The? Yeah, all right. And they were lacerating. I mean, so Cooper's been doing great stuff for a long time, but just let's focus again, swing on the crime. I mean, yeah. what I was saying, which nobody will be able to hear was that, that incredible crescendo of horns, that masked horn mm-hmm. um, going down and pitch, and, but yeah. matching perfectly. It, it, it's such a herald. It's like such a great announcement for this. Yes, yes, a perfect opener, yes. And this beautiful song, which is about being murdered, <laughs> sacrificed, being yes. a martyr. You know? That's right. So right. That, they are they are they they take a loser position like it's too late we have lost yeah. there's nothing to hope for but yet there's this melancholy through all the songs but especially swing for the crime yes. there's no fucking escape yep. but yet here we go one more time yep and <laughs> with the bo diddley beat driving it and there's some great swaying horns yeah. which kind of if you if you really you know take the uh, the idea to its fullest Extent, you know, it's like you sort of. If you've seen Jojo Rabbit, and you know the scene where Scarlett Johansson's character is hung with the other people who are trying to pass out anti-Nazi yeah. literature, it's, and they're sort of slightly swaying in the breeze. You know? Yes, mm. yes. Like they're swinging for the crime. That's you know? right. Oh, we had a and, actually uh, the swinging 
came up in another episode. Rob, you remember where the, we talked about people swinging? Oh, swinging party. Yeah, that's a replacement, replacement song, is, and you and you and you brought it up. That swinging party could also be the people yeah, it's swinging. definitely yeah, somebody yeah. swinging if they've hung themselves. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the the metaphor is. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be like incredibly new or anything. I'm sure people have had this idea for a long time, but uh, you, you do sense run off the bat that we're dealing with something that sounds sort of modern and uh, for that time and sort of alien at the same time. But yeah, right, 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 right. Lyrics are way, way advanced beyond like you know. Where's my? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, he's <laughs> got the, he's got the, the cinematic. He's got the cinematic quality oh, yeah. to his uh, to his Lock, writing. Lo- it just opens up right away. Locked in a room full of words. <laughs> I'm the one-eyed midget with the curse. The yeah. Simpleton who sweetly smiles at his young lover now beguiled. The syncophantic morons lied at Romeo who is the bride. Let's ride. The, the lyrics on the online lyrics are all wrong. I've got the lyrics here with Are you me. serious? Are you serious? They're on the album, go yeah. Good. Do it. Do Whoever it. Tom. Transcribed them was just doing it by ear and they make a lot of mistakes. But yeah, you got it mostly right. And uh, that's those are incredible words. They are, they are. And it, and it almost and Tom, I could see I could see you connecting with this because I could almost hear you saying that to someone sycophantic talking about sycophantic morons. Yeah, right, <laughs> I, sir. I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, well, that's true. You've you've uh, have mellowed a lot. You've uh, you've mellowed a lot over the years. All right, so and let's <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, which part of this do you want to play next? Because the whole thing is just incredible. We're going to go one, I, track by track. It is. We're doing okay, So let's go. Really uh, yeah, let's go to the second song on here. Uh, it changes Please. gears. Uh, kind of a waltz time. And uh, let's listen to a little bit oh. of All Times Through Paradise. Oh, Shine and the sun, it don't call on the phone. Did I get it right or have I got it backwards? Yeah, yeah no, that's, that, right. that's it. That's yeah, it. and also it's got that really cool, um, uh, sort of modal shift musically, uh, that's unexpected yeah. there, right? At the, instead of just sticking to the same, changes key, yes, and yes. it gives it a, a um, there's a sophistication with these guys which you just don't anticipate based on. Just hearing I'm Stranded, which every fucking person on earth, it, you know, has, has heard. And then you hear this and you're like, wow, this is a completely... Yeah, where did it come from? Well, it was there. Obviously, it was already there. They just, uh, you know, were part of a... They were 
probably, you know, trying to make their way in a scene. It's like, oh, okay, you guys are a punk rock band, right? Okay. So you come over here, move to England, and you guys like uh, amphetamines, right? So they probably didn't like amphetamines. They probably like to drink. They're Australians. Oh, you guys, don't you want punk haircuts? No, we don't want punk haircuts. Um, so, you, you know, you're going to stand they up there. Were they were what? Because they were the true punks, of course. Of course, right, right. right, right. Exactly. They weren't going to, but it was, they didn't, they don't, they didn't fit a category, which is problematic. It's, it's, it's a lot of the bands that we cover and we go, why weren't these guys more successful? It's because, oh, they didn't, you couldn't really pigeonhole them into one thing or another, or it's, or it's one particular record where you go, yeah, it doesn't, this doesn't fit in even into their canon. And you go, it's, it's, uh, it, that's why nobody's heard it. And this one's also because people are going to. If you played a track off of this on a like in a DJ set or something, people are like, man, that's fucking incredible. What the hell was it? Exactly. All right, let's get sing that. Let's just get into this third song right here because this is that song. That, that this is this would be the song if I said, have you ever heard this and just played for someone? I would probably play this one. Now let's listen to "Every Day's a Holiday, Every Night's a Party." Um, oh, dude, you haven't even, I mean, let's talk about this. First of all, as I wrote to you guys a couple of weeks ago, this is really the one that makes my hair completely, it makes my hair stand on end, and yeah. then more hair comes from around my back and my <laughs> ass and gets on that hair, and that stands on yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, It's just sick, you know. And what and, have I, Rob, what have I said? Who's the most really, who's really the most important member of any band? Uh, a drummer, yeah, yeah. And, you, and, and, and this, this drummer, you go, he's, you he's go, fantastic. Oh, yeah. he's to- perfect drumming. And the drumming, of, yeah. Incredible, you know, I mean, there's so much about this song that gets me excited. I could do a whole podcast if you had it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like, can you hear me okay? Yeah, oh, yeah there we go. Good. This is much good better. Now. Perfect, right, thank you, good. Tom. Don't move, I mean, don't move a muscle now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't think that ma- I don't think that matters. It doesn't. <laughs> I won't move. No, th- that's if good think, now. All right, you sound good again. Um, if you think back to the first Roxy album, uh, the first song was called Remake Remodel, right? Yep. And yes. of course, that's some great stuff. Uh, and uh, they used a bit of like chic cafe ambience to introduce yes. the song. And uh, if you listen to this at the end of the first verse. Price, they went to some pub, I'm sure, during a break in the recording because they did it at the same studio that the Pistols did, never mind the Bollocks, right? right. It was a pub corner. They went there, probably just put a mic and an and a, some kind of recorder outside, recorded the bar, yeah. and then came back and used that to fill in the space yeah. with the horns. And the first, like during the first chorus, that's that part 
makes me swoon. It's so brilliant because yeah. you get this sense of what he's talking about. This is like one of the very few positive songs on the album. It's like, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. You're let's right. just get fucked up because what else are we going to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's positive ish. It's, it's positive ish. <laughs> he's embracing that. Yeah, I mean, saying nihilism sounds pretentious, but he's embracing that quality. Well, that's of what it is, though. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, yes, sure. But he's embracing that quality of youthful nihilism, where the only solution really is to just get fucked up. And the and the lyrics are so so splendid, and his delivery, and and when he bends notes, it's almost as good as George Jones, and he has that uh-huh. really cool quality that he has, he stabs some of these things with. But you mentioned Ivor Hay and this perfect drumming. Uh, when it's an all oh, the world is mine and it's like uh-huh yeah yeah uh-huh uh-huh and then it all breaks away and then Price lifts the symbols and puts them really out to the side and you hear this incredible what he what the, what uh, Chris Thomas the producer of Bollocks described as the Panzer Division sound that <laughs> Price can give a, a band right? right everything just four to the floor it's yeah yeah, yeah. Tense and Hay is just like boof, 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 and there's like 12 measures, and then he does boof, boof, and it's like a massive explosion. He just hits the snare one extra time, one time. Yeah, well, here's the thing he's paying attention to what's going on, and everybody's everybody's synced with is locked in with what's happening, and that makes a huge difference. Whereas if you just have people that are just playing their parts. You have somebody who's actually, you know, aware of the lyrics, aware of what's being said, and yes. is that's that's what makes a great band. And you know, if we don't mention Algie Ward or Alistair Ward, uh, this was his uh, second album with the Saints. His bass playing is yeah, so it's really good. Yeah, really, really good. Really good. Yeah. I mean, he's not Tim Dahl, but he he has a real feel for the instrument. He, he's not just a typical kind of right, punk right, kind right, of right, right, right. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and, and when the Saints broke up, he joined the Damned. That's and the right. Dare, that's right. Yeah. Dare masterpiece, you know, Machine Gun Etiquette, you know? Yes. So, like, he's a hell of a performer, a hell of a player. He got kicked out of the Damned for being too much of a drunk. I wonder so about, sure. oh, really? Oh, really? Wow. With, in, in a oh, band yeah. with Captain Sensible, he was too much of a drunk. <laughs> he was the drunk. And, and you get a sense that uh, the Saints, really, he and Bailey probably were like best friends, and you get this feeling that maybe Hay and. Cooper were always sleeping together in the hotel rooms or something, you know? It's like a right, right. really kind of interesting personality mix here. And one of the reasons why I think the Saints went into two directions, you know? Yes. Bailey kept it kind of R&B and, and folksy, and Cooper did, you know, just amazing work with the Laughing Clowns doing this sort of jazz, slightly improvisational yeah. style. They, they just split the band in two, basically. But here was the fusion after they did the punk stuff, for lack of a better right. phrase, you know, for a better term, than this. This is the template for how many bands, how many, I mean, how many people, maybe I don't know, but I get the feeling that many groups have listened to this album. And yeah, there's really- those albums that people who, people who know, you go, oh, they've heard this particular thing, and you realize that not that many people have heard that one particular thing but it's there and it's unmistakable and that those that arrangement like that's 
really splendid, you know. And these guys were like 22, 23. I mean, yeah, that's nuts. 20. I yeah. know. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing. It's yeah. very uh, the album. Uh, it has a very uh, timeless quality to it, it because does. I'm thinking, wow, this came out in I couldn't believe it came out in 1978. Because and it, it sounds like it's been made by guys in their 30s or even exactly, in the, you exactly. know, that's the, or their 40s even. Yeah. It's 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 mature. It's sophisticated. Yeah, when I was in my early 20s, I was an idiot. Yeah, no I way. couldn't do anything no, like this. No. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole different story. All right, so let's get to the next song. Finally, so you get these three songs, bam, 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 with the with the horns are very prevalent, and you're thinking, oh, is this whole album going to be like a horn album but no then now the horns get a break in this next one and let's listen to a little bit of brisbane security city Okay, so I'm just going to point out, because that's what I do as my part of my role in the show, is point out that someone has a, a keen awareness of Marquee Moon, and I think that's the opening guitar riff from Elevation. Am I right? very similar. It is. Yeah, so, um, and when everybody, everybody had... Marquee Moon come out? 76, right? Oh, 77. 77, oh. yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard not to be. Yeah, everybody who hears that record, as we were just discussing, you know, it well, tends to make play, a mark. Guitar players listen to guitar players' records, don't they? They, so, yeah, they, yeah, certainly, yeah. they certainly do. So here's another uh, little bit. It's almost some of this record. Um, there's some goth. I hear a little guy. You know, I hate to use the term goth, but uh, it's funny, Tom. You well, obviously, you mentioned the uh, damned because LG Ward. But a lot of this also reminds me of what the damned ended up doing, True. which sort of changed. You know, from a punk band, they started doing all these that different is, things, yeah, sure. and, and with the Strawberries, they did some songs with horns and stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, sort of sort of similar to the thing they were doing. But it, it's it's funny. I just don't understand why this record didn't get like too early. Too, how it just disappeared yeah, you know, into the ether. You yeah, know? it's I one, think this was pretty much first out the gate. You know, right, right, right. right. It's always yeah. tough when you're first out the gate. Oh, people oh, don't know right. what to do with it. Well, well, if the dam came up with it, well, oh, you know, we love, you know, <laughs> this is great. Record you know, company, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm con- contractually. Uh, forbidden to use the word that begins with G that you mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew that would get under your skin, <laughs> but what are you going to do? <laughs> um, I will say this. You talked about uh, cinematic quality, uh, sort of a, a classic film noir kind of thing. This, that 13 hot nights in a row, the cops drive <laughs> and they move slow. That's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's your opening stanza. I mean, my God, how yeah. good is that? People yeah. should have been salivating over this record. But right, right, I, right. In Atlanta, I was subscribing to the NME because, you know, it was uh, hipper than Melody Maker and Sounds at yep. the time. And a lot more aware than Rolling Stone. And they hated this record. The, really? The Ooh, really? 
Like they're so out of it and past it. And it's the it's a, it's a it's the Kubrick film problem. Kubrick would put out films and people would be like, eh, you know, it's okay. And then ten years down the road, like, holy crap, look at this. What's this thing? Oh, <laughs> this this is the masterpiece. There's, and also the horns, yeah. the horns do come back in, but um, yeah, at the end of the song it sort of shifts. Halfway through the song, it shifts into into second gear, and then that saxophone comes in. Yeah, and then and, and it's a it's a double track saxophone. It is and, yes, and and the lines interlock, and it's not just free playing, which would be great, but instead it's syncopated, almost free playing, which is really difficult to pull off. I think. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, and then it calms down, and then you get. Back to thirteen hot nights in a row. Yeah, right, right. Such a great song, man. It yeah. is, it is. And those saxophone solos. A lot of those saxes, the way that they're played and the way that they're um, that the um, recorded, yeah. reminds me of. I, I'm going to pull out the, the the King Crimson card. The way the sax sounds on King Crimson records from a few years before, which yeah, a lot of people were aware of too. Um, and Roxy Music as well, who used the saxophone quite um, successfully in their uh, with, with, recordings. With terrific, with terrific precision, you know, with terrific yes. precision. Yes, but there's I mean, also I mean, a way of recording it where it's in a, it's got a really quick, like, slapback reverb on it or something that gives it a particular, this particular quality that is, uh, um, it was just very much reminiscent of those things. I was like, wow. So, and that also I, could be the recording engineer who's aware of, you know, the way these things are recorded. It's like, well, oh. you know, I, I can't salute Bill Price enough because I think what he did with Bollocks, of course, Chris Thomas calling a lot of the shots, but what he did with that album is just remarkable, yeah. remarkable considering that he just had a drummer and a guitarist Play, yep. double bass and a right. useless player they couldn't even use on yeah, the yeah, album. Yeah, no, that, no, right. it's all, all Steve Jones playing bass. And, 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 it is, that, and the funny still, thing about to this day, you put that on, you go, wow, well, man, that sounds and, fucking and that, badass. And that, and that record doesn't, Bollocks doesn't sound like any other record. I don't know what exactly they did or how exactly they recorded it or mixed it, but you put that on, it's got a particular thing that is just hasn't been duplicated elsewhere. And um, I'm not because sure you had a producer, you had the producer of Roxy Music's best albums and crazy stuff like sadistic, sadistic Mika Band, right? And then and and Badfinger albums, you know, all this crazy stuff. And then you, but the engineer was the guy who did the Saints too. So okay. there's some there's a bit of technical DNA that they share yeah, with Yeah, Bollocks. yeah, okay, yeah. And even though they even though they self-produced to save money, probably yes, but it. You really feel Bill Price's hand uh, on the board, and uh, at least I do. And and uh, it's a sublime yeah. bit of engineering. Every bit comes out, and the horns. Those guys, the four people who play, they, we we talked about this earlier, of course. But the precision, the stabs, the underlying. Yeah. The, it's so sympathetic, but it never sounds maudlin or it or no. excessive. It well, maybe we can maybe we can re we can rekindle some interest in this record. Forty one years uh, after <laughs> it came out. Yeah, well, we should. Um, all right, so this next song now, Tom. Ready for truth? Well, that, I was going to say, Tom. I don't fashion you. I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine you're not a religious person, much of a religious person. But I imagine. 
It, it, if you went to a church, though, you may attend. This would be the church you would go to. The church exactly. of indifference. So let's listen to the church. Well, of I'm not. I'm not indifferent, my friend. But I think you know what Chris was talking about. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's listen to it. Alrighty. I look at the world from my window. There's nothing I'd rather see. Millions of people walk by me. Not just the ones I've ignored. Put my hands on my knees. Yeah, the lyrics in this are really bleak, but the song doesn't sound yeah, so, as bleak as the lyrics. Yeah, they're are, you know? um, they're too young to be this nihilistic. They uh, they they haven't uh, they don't they have to you know they need thirty years more to understand middle aged nihilism. They've got, the, they've got the young, the nihilism of the young, which is based on boredom, not the nihilism of the middle aged, which is based on experience. <laughs> That's so well said, and, and uh, I mean, these lyrics are—I mean, they're sort of a master class. You know, yeah. At, yeah. You know, a, a lot of people, uh, not to be solipsistic, but a lot of people, when they hear me sing, they say, "Oh, you know, Scott Walker, blah blah blah." I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't really hear Scott Walker. The first album I heard by him was in '85. I right. really think Scott Walker great, but. Jack Bruce, yeah. Oh, yeah. Chris Bailey? Yeah, right, sure. I don't sound at all like those guys, but I yeah. learned so much from this album, especially. I mean, this album I learned the most about Chris Bailey. As much as I loved those crazy songs in the first two Saints albums, this one, it was it was like going to school. You know, it yeah. really was. Like, this, is, this is how you sing a song. This is how you sell a lyric. This is how you really emote and really feel he's he studied he's definitely carefully studied how you construct and how you deliver the, a song to uh for maximum impact yeah but then it makes it sound effortless like there's no effort oh, well, in it the, at that's, all and that's the that's that's the, the, the final magic. the yeah. final trick is yeah. how to make it sound like you're not trying yeah, that and smoking sixty unfiltered cigarettes a day. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, and and you know every uh, bit of Saints footage from that time he's smoking his brain. <laughs> oh wow! You know what's interesting? Uh, Chris Bailey has not uh, like over the years he's he's softened to it a bit, but he for years he was saying that he he didn't like this record that he thought it was. He did, but I think it's more you could sort of feel like you never, were saying the never, whole record has. What's this, the rule? Yeah, never, never listen to never the artist, listen to what the artists have to say own, about their own work. Yeah, but I think it was more. You could tell these guys were already falling apart, and, and Ed was on his way out. So that sort of that that 
bad memories. It the whole exactly. record, you know, yeah. in a way. No, which, it's, which it's kind of experience, I think. And I mean, yeah, right. They had a shoestring budget, you know. I mean, I mean, I would have, I would so love to have been able to take to live and shave to Bill Price and say, oh, you know, yeah. right. I mean, imagine how good that would be, or. For Holy Terrors to be able to work with some of these incredible guys, you're like, oh, please, I'll do it. I'll pay you for right. sure. Yeah. Please work with me. And these guys got it probably on the cheap. And they did a tour with the horn section. Oh, wow. Was, oh, I would, I would love now, to I didn't see see that. any footage. I didn't see any footage of that online anywhere. I've never found a bootleg of that. Oh. Wow. As, apparently, they were hated so much. <laughs> and I... It was like that ridiculous album uh, by Discharge, you know, yeah. Grave Duper, where they sang in a falsetto the whole time, and people threw <laughs> ash out. They had the same kind of reaction with this tour. Like yeah, horns. Yeah. I was like, my God, you idiots, you know? And then a year later, it's like, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Right, <laughs> exactly. They were just a little too soon. Too early, yeah. yeah. And just a little... Too ugly, you know. I mean, oh, the drummer well, was too. Yeah, right. Like, we're like kind of spotty and fat and not really. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, what's what's his face? Uh, Kurt Cobain never discount the uh, the magic of a, a good looking frontman. You know, he's tr- he's right. <laughs> the guy's right. Yeah. Um, all right. I, but there's just one thing I wanted to say. What I love okay. about this, like the this third and fourth lines are millions of people walk by me. Not just the ones I've ignored. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's some heavy stuff for it is, twenty. It is. Right? Yeah. That's right? well. That's what I'm saying is that he's able to um, tap into a kind of a level of disdain that is usually re- you require a few more years to uh, to get a hold of. All right. So now we get a blues lament. As old as time, really, but uh, but they still managed to make it sound uh, convincing and gritty. Let's listen to a little bit of crazy Guggenheimer blues. Because I'm crazy about malt oatmeal, chocolate, and regular. You know what makes it better than those other hot cereals? A secret ingredient. It's good taste. Mm. Take it from old craze. Cut it out, you guys. So get regular or chocolate malt oatmeal. It's terrific. Take it from old craze. A double day. Well, right away, shout out to Miami Beach and... Uh, 
the Jackie Gleason show, Frank Fontaine played the, the town drunk or the local drunk, and the name of the character on the show was Crazy Buchenheim. Ah, so, okay. Ah. I knew that came from somewhere, but I could did not wow. uh, make that connection. Wow. That's great. So he's so watching this in Brisbane on, uh, on, on TV. I'm sure it was syndicated worldwide, you know, and uh, sure. yeah, they're, they're watching, maybe watching with his mom and dad, you know, uh, Jackie Guggenheimer. Uh, but Crazy Guggenheimer Blues, to get back to it, that's not really, that's my least favorite song on the album because it's the most, it's, it's like a, it's not really a throwaway and there's, the, the playing is really good. But the lyric is not so incisive. Well, like I said, it's kind of a blues, the classic uh, My Baby Left Me blues song, you know. So there, yeah, there's, there's not much meat on the bone. This is the incongruous track on the album. But, you know, it's maybe they just liked it. And if so, right. that's okay. It doesn't do much for me, i got to say. That's my... So it, it knocks it down like point two or, you know, point something. <laughs> from, being, uh, from being Stone Cold Perfect. But the next song, The Horns Are Back. <laughs> And, uh, and so is Barry Stock. Uh, yeah, Barry Stock's back. Back the horns, being. <laughs> the horns Barry. Are, the horns Here are back, and everything's fine, but not really. Everything's not really fine, but let's listen to a little bit of Everything's Fine. With a bit of luck, and if things fall into place, then maybe things won't feel as though it's been such a race. Now, Explains to you life's mystery. I know that I had that highlighted. What a great, yeah. Uh, I think that that you, that encapsulates this whole well, record it, right it's here. It's like you were saying, Tom. At the time, so many of the punk songs were just like coming at you, and then subtle. There's I a, know what's going on. Listen a, to me. Subtleness to the nihilism yeah. here that's yeah. different than it, all the certainly. other stuff. I mean, the, the the best guys, of course, like. Rotten had humor, you know, even though yes. it wasn't laugh out loud kind of stuff. Right, know? right, right. I, like in New York, you know, he, oh, yeah. he's saying, uh, uh, he's making fun of the New York Dolls. For being uh, junkies, I'll do anything, yeah, yeah. Do anything, Anadins, Aspros, anything, which are British versions of like, you know, Advil, you know? Yep. So hungry for pills that I'll take any trash. Right? And, <laughs> And, and the, you know, Marky Smith, you know, uh, oh, coming yeah. in a bit late, 78. Well, that's, that's the issue here is that I'm Money hearing also. things. I now hear things in this record that became popular a couple of years later and yeah. everyone was just in love with. But this is two years, uh, two years ahead of the, the ball game. And uh, they're already, you know, out of it before the uh, any of the... Yeah, and, and and as you mentioned before, they weren't going to put on. Um, they were going to use. They weren't going to use hairspray, and uh, wear colorful outfits. Now on the album cover, you can see 
you can see Bailey's acting. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> right, right. Yes. And I, I love that. But, but this, this, this song, perfect confluence of, of, of just the driving beat, thanks to Hay and Ward, and then a great delivery, of course, by Chris Bailey. But then yes. the horns are like, and then you get the guitar solo. Like, yes, like the yes, right. They, they complement each other. Well, the horns, the horns start doing the piano part from "Waiting for the Man," where which is just that that octave ding 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 ding, which is a thing that provides a certain kind of a certain little something to a song. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Oh, there's somebody's being funny and has made the horns do what John Cale was doing." On waiting for the man, which is just playing two notes an octave apart and banging, banging it continuously. And that's all you need. Yeah. That's all you, need, you know. And and clearly these guys were steeped. They knew what they were talking about. They had. A, a, I mean, yeah. Remember the uh, maybe you don't, but if you do, remember the first album by Alternative TV and Mark Perry. And the back cover has all of his favorite albums mm-hmm. yeah. out the street and you can see that he liked Neil Young and yeah. Captain Hart. Yeah, it's like that was extremely vulnerable yes know, true be, oh at that time it, of course that yeah. was 77 you know and uh, and you get a sense of all the really cool things that these guys love it's like yes. a mix it, it's, it's the seeds and uh-huh. the monks and and also the Temptations, you know, with David Ruffin. Yes. You know, the, oh, yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. That kind of stuff. I mean, they do a Otis Redding cover. They do a Aretha Franklin cover on this album. That's and right. they destroy them. And so they have such a crazy confluence of, of, of influences. But yet, you talked about a genre earlier. I'm not, a, I'm not averse to liking things. And I know it's easy when people can label something but the trouble is of course it's like a cement prison you know it's like, it's like i mean I, what i mean to say is like it's like uh, what do those mobsters call it like cement shoes you know it's like you go down to the bottom <laughs> right. and right. yeah once they've applied the once they've applied the cement you you don't you're not going to be able to move out of that or you're or, always that you're always going to be that guy right right you know? it's going to be that band and I've been lucky enough or stupid enough over the years to, to never to always reject. Like, no, 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 no. So they, at one time they thought I was industrial because that was the age. One they thought I was noise or whatever. It's like, I'm just little old me. I'm trying to do my <laughs> little old Tom Smith just trying to make his way through the, through the world. And as I'm best just trying to do my thing. Red Riding Hood walking through the forest <laughs> for this stuff, take, take, take yeah. stuff to grandma. And I think that uh, I think that these guys were little red riding hoods in their own way too. They were like, you know, we're just doing our thing. And yeah, yeah right, right, yeah. right. I mean, the wolves, we, uh, yeah. We know it's really good, and you guys, you know, maybe you don't really realize it, and maybe you never will. And you get that sense from everything's fine. It's so deeply cynical. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Right, that's cynicism. So, all right, so now the, this next one, I'm going to bring that that word that you can't say the uh, the the G word comes in again because for me, I feel it's got really? that little vibe uh, with the bass, especially with the bass in this next one. Let's listen. Well, to the a, bass is uh, Algy Ward. Salute. That's a great bass line. It is. Let's listen to a little bit of the Prisoner.
a great guitar sound. I'm, just, I'm, in, I'm in envy. The fact that the same band that made the, 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 the first three songs on this record and is also doing this song on yeah. the same record yeah, yeah. is, is uh, mind-blowing. It is. Yeah, this one's kind of a bit more in character with the uh, previous albums in terms of right, its right. impact. And, and the song is, you know, it's like obviously about people who are rich and feel privileged and don't really realize what might be around the corner of history for them, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Wow! Yeah, but, that's uh, but, that's that's but that's very a, that's very right now. Well, of course it is, and that's why it's so re- heavily resonant in my mind. When I listen to this thing all the time, you know, yeah, you're a, yeah. the man of the cage. Uh, I see you every day. You're the one who has everything. It's like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. staring at fucking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm a I'm a teacher, and I teach executives, and I teach very important people, and. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they're just sort of in the middle of a corporation. Sure. These people are, are uniformly polite, often lovely, we even become friends, but they really are in a bubble, you know, yes. compared to a lot of them. Yes. And I, they do see this, and I think many of them are quite grateful, but others that I have not met, from what I hear on the, in the grapevine, are not so grateful, you know, and, no. and are so connected and not so empathetic and I think of course in America we just see this metastasizing yes but certainly it creates this resonance of feeling you know yeah if you're in the Saints and you're chubby you know in a documentary Bailey says well I was a bit chunky yeah <laughs> yeah not a very good accent, I, I uh, sympathize with that in a very in a very personal, personal way, way. <laughs> yeah, but not when you were 22 no, no, no I was chunky when I was 22 too. So, no, I've always been chunky. You were big bone. That's what I was your mom a big bone boy. Husky department. Bone. No, we talked about the husky department muscles, at Sears. Muscles were so developed they were warping time space. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, here's one of the. Uh, but anyway, this, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I wanted to mention the second song without horns on the album is the prisoner. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And and I think that goth thing that you were talking about. Oh, you was, said it. Is actually, I know oh, I said that's it. the G it's word. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually more like of, a, of an undertone that created this really wonderfully locked in performance by the bass and yeah. the guitar. I mean, yeah. and the drums. They yeah. really drag you into that prison. Well, it's, it's also so a minor key tune, and it's got, yeah. there's a I, little bit of reggae dub feeling in that a yeah, little bit, yeah. which was obviously, if you're in, you know, London in that time period, you're going to hear a lot of that. Um, a lot of that. Not, it's not overt, but it's just right there under the surface. There's like, okay, the bass, the way the bass is mixed, and the way there's a little, a little, uh, the, the sort of, um, dub echo is applied to things and that could be also the producer at work being like oh let's, you know, let's add a little dub I, sound to this when i met uh, when i met claudia who's been my partner since i moved here you know i met her and that's why i moved to germany you know and uh, and um, one of the things we used to talk about of course long distance is favorite records because you're trying to get to know someone you yeah know, and, and uh, she mentioned she loved this and i was like well this is a key that's key. it this yeah, is the one, the one. <laughs> incredible yeah uh, yeah, yeah I, Bailey's vocal delivery on, on The Prisoner is peerless. Ditto for Cooper's guitar, the way he holds back and then lets out. I mean, they had done Nights and Dennis. They had done Know Your Product. They had done all these raging tracks. They knew now to hold yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tension and release. 
exactly that resistance to give it all yeah. creates such anticipation for it. It, it. So when they finally do let loose a little bit, it sounds like the beautiful thing. It's apocalyptic. It's yeah. So all right, so now we get one of the covers, the aforementioned covers, the uh, Otis Redding tune. They do a pretty faithful, authentic-sounding cover of Security. So let's listen to a little bit of Security. Double-tracked horns, man. That, that sound gigantic. Totally sick vocal. Oh, my oh yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. He, he, like, he, he like leans into it, and it, yeah. like I said, it sounds very authentic for a guy, and for a 20-something Australian guy to be singing Yeah, no fucking like way, that. right? There's no yeah. way. How did, how did that, where did that come from? Well, you know what? I mean, I think they really studied this very hardcore. I mean, on that 74 album of theirs called The Most Primitive Band in the World, they do River Deep Mountain High. Oh, wow. That was on their first double seven inch that came out in 77 called One, Two, Three, Four. Okay. They Demolition Girl and One Way Streets, I think, from the first album was No Time and did cover of uh, River Deep. River Deep Mountain High. Wow. That's ballsy. That is ballsy. And, and yeah, how, like, to have that influence and to not be afraid to, like, put it out there that, that, that that's. Well, they know. probably didn't know because they. That was maybe their problem was they hadn't figured out that certain things were going to be considered cool and not cool. Some yeah. things were going to be considered uncool, and they didn't give a fuck. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't give a fuck, and, and it, it, th- those things had not been sorted out yet in the quote unquote punk movement. Well, let me just point out again: like a year and a half later, you've got just all this stuff like the Bureau and Dexies, and not to mention Two Tone. It's like, well, that yeah, for sure. Right. What was once uncool suddenly becomes cool. Yeah, Susan was, uh, my wife was, we were listening to this album this morning, and she goes, I'm hearing a little sky in there. I'm like, yeah, but this is before the sky revival. Right. So these guys are aware of the sky revival, or of the original ska stuff. And, of course, ska was aware of, of Motown. And so there's, you know, there, there's a cross-pollination there. But that, wait a couple of years, and this all becomes, you know, uh, uh, um, mass-produced, mass-marketed stuff. I think when when you when you think about the way that the Bailey and and uh, and Hay and uh, Cooper met, I mean they all went to school together. But I think uh, Chris and, and and Ed really spent like every afternoon together listening to music. So what me yeah. and Don Fleming yep. just went back to his place because my play my parents fought too much and it was a bit chaotic over there. Yeah, his. His parents were nice and polite and kind. <laughs> they didn't want to play music and stuff, you know. And so we went to his place and listened to every... I mean, that, that was our daily routine. We'd play a little bit of awkward, nerdy basketball, and then we'd listen to music for six hours. Yeah. 
I, I've got that guy in my life too. So same thing. Billy Taylor and I, after school, maybe slightly less um, wholesome um, activities, but go back to his house and put on records and sit there in his bedroom and listen to you know half Japanese records. So um, the thing, the difference between Don and me is that we started making music really early too. I mean, we we were completely driven to to do that, and I I have a feeling since they had their set. Together in '74, yeah, they they started playing like in, in what '69 or yeah, something, right? Yeah, sure. '71. I mean, they were really on the cusp of this thing way early, yeah, crazy, you know, yeah, almost like listening to. I mean, I saw the. This is apropos of nothing really, but of starting early, I, I saw the uh, and and still having an effect. I saw the Sonics in Hanover a couple of years ago. <laughs> wow. And I thought, well, it, it it'll be how good junk. could it be, right? And they ripped the shit yeah. at the root of the universe. It was insane. Like two original members, but the young kids had the spirit, and it just was shattering. I was like, yeah. this is not possible. How can they be? Look, <laughs> right. They're like 150 years old, these right. guys. Those Sonics records are from before the Beatles, right? That first Sonic stuff is early 60s, and I never realized that. I was like, holy shit. This stuff just dropped, just fell out of a UFO into, you know. It's really, really like that. And so when you get a band that's, that's such a ridiculous precursor, like the Saints, they had other ones. You know, I mean, if you think about that time, like the dolls are crumbling, the Stooges are on their last legs, making their best music, I think. But. All that rubber stuff, but just really with no possible hope. Yep. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult is starting to soften after the first yeah, three sure. albums. Like yep. it's a weird, bleak place. Patty Smith is crawling up from the gutter in New York. So something is happening, but you don't really know what it is, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's weird. That's, sorry. Uh, dude, that was a weird uh, reference for Tom Smith to throw out <laughs> there, man. <laughs> but also, there's like this sort of bleakness in the air. I mean, if you like Prague, you know, it's magma and Henry Cow and stuff, but if you really want something visceral, well, okay, John Cale was at his height for the solo careers. Nico was making great records in 74, but who do you come to for that insane rush? It's these weirdos from fucking Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It existed, and their, their stock had fallen so dramatically after two great albums, mine. Yeah. I yeah. know, I know, yeah. And, and they uh, changed the warp and warp of their own trajectory and people just go, eh. Eh. Well, I, I read a quote uh, by an Australian writer, Clinton Walker, which is really sad, but it was probably in a way true. He said that when the record came out, it was broadly misunderstood. It meant nothing to no one. That's <laughs> what I was talking about. That's the quote. That's and the so, quote. And it's like, oh, that's, that's like, rubbish that's brutal. I love this record. And right, I bought right, it. right. So he can kiss my ass. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it's, but you're, you're he, may have changed, he may have Clint changed Walker. his, uh, yeah. He may have um, changed his tune. All right, so this next one, uh, <laughs> now we get a pretty straight up pop soul song, I think, basically. Uh, this time, let's listen to a little bit of This Time.
Yeah, pretty straight ahead, pretty uh, um, classic um, template for that uh, um, for that tune. It's a, it's a, um, you know, side B. You know what I like about it though? It, it is kind of straight ahead, but uh, it's it's the shell of a very perverse pill that you have to swallow. <laughs> it's, it's it's radio friendly, yeah. If anyone right, had ex- been exactly, this, yeah, and w- He's talking about someone who's just has their head up their ass, like right, someone right, that right. <laughs> but hang- Yeah, but you're hanging around only fooling yourself. Yeah. Well, what I also thought about while we were this tune was playing was the um, what started happening around this time was the making videos for songs was becoming more popular, and so the appearance became significantly more important of how a band looked and how they presented themselves it needed to you needed to look not only um acceptable on stage but you needed to look acceptable in a uh a film studio or in a in a a, so that you could and if you look at these guys on stage you you go some video producer are we going to spend any money at all trying to make a video for this band with these guys because they're not going to cooperate they're not going to look good and so fuck it you know what there are there were there were music videos for both i'm stranded and know your product right and you can find them easily online and the one for i'm stranded is pretty basic i mean it's it's got a couple of different versions but they're just kind of schlubbing around in some abandoned house <laughs> right 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 <laughs> right and then there's also one that they filmed in front of an audience and then a third one where they sort of interpolate both parts of footage and then the one for no product to alleviate their, you know, less than, you know, uh, the Hollywood sort of uh, physiques and yes. uh, and uh, facades, they they chroma key it. I mean, it's all like with the colors reversed and everything. Yes, do anything to make these guys look, you know, other than what they are. Than what they are. And, and Know Your Product is an amazing song. And the first one... Yeah, they really... yeah, it is. It is an amazing song. And so even though... This time is sort of like, it feels like a placekeeper for some people, but it's got a very corrosive lyric, and that's what makes it work, because it's like this uh, very radioactive pellet inside a very pretty package. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and very grown-up adult song for some, like we said, once again. That's the overarching idea is that, okay, how does a 22, 23-year-old guy? Right. So, all right, so this next one is also uh, very uh, power-popish and earworm, uh, but also listen to this song. I could picture it being a Ramon song. If you take out the horns and speed it up a little, (laughs) it sounds like a Ramon song. So listen listen to Take This Heart of Mine. Immediately, I think of it's La Bamba, 
So La Bamba is oh, the so is, La Bamba. Yeah, is, yeah. is the uh, the template for this, but also Ramones. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can definitely uh, add Johnny guitar and uh, Joey vocals, and uh, you would have and perhaps a little more basic drumming, and you got a Ramones yeah, tune. Yeah. <laughs> Just from the standpoint of the uh, the album as a whole. Um, I love just that the guitar and his voice from all the cigarette smoking. You know, it really adds yeah. it's like a yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like an Eno effect on his vocals. It's really, yeah. it's really beautiful. Yes, yeah, what's the, the effect? Is a jeton? It's as the jeton filter. The jeton filter or the jeton unfiltered. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, I, you know, the, it's uh, this song has no horns either. And um, it's just, just if you think of this, the drumming, Ibra Hay is incredible. That whole boom, boom, yeah, yeah. boom, yeah. boom, 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 the bass and the drums carry the whole bloody song. Yes, I, they do. Authority. It's played with authority. The conviction and, and uh, authority. Conviction, yes. Yeah. Right. That's what and every song on this record has is conviction. And, and, um, it can carry it even if it's not, you know, the greatest song on the record. It's it's played with um, uh, I don't want to say love, but it's played with you know they're doing it. We're not we're not fucking around. And when I'm gonna I'm gonna do this um, one way or another. Scholars who are even more aware of their work should chime in here. But uh, I think this was Chris Bailey's first solo composition because normally he would just add the lyrics to it. Oh okay song. okay. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. This was his first solo song for the Saints. Yeah. Um, so but the this, lyrics are very good, you know. Very yeah, good yeah. indeed. Yeah, well, he's got that. Yeah, but my remedy is older than the tale of Jack and Jill. My prescription mm-hmm. is the kind you uh, is the kind you love to have refilled. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Very good. Well, the, the next two songs. Well, let me let me ask you a quick question. Are you are you using the reissue version because there's an outtake called "I'm Looking for the Sun." That was never included on the LP. That's phenomenal. Oh, no. And then there's I don't think I have that. Which don't really comport with the rest of the album, but they've used Looking for the Sun since these compilations of the Saints. There was one called Wild About You, like in 99, and then a box set was even more expansive. Okay. Looking for the Sun is an incredible track. And All right. Well, I'll play all that If you could I'll dig, dig that it up, up for sure. Yeah, the, we'll play uh, some of that up But the next one I got on the list is the one, this one, I can imagine Iggy Pop singing this song. Oh, this song. one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Chameleon. Amazing. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of Chameleon.
don't know if you heard me, but this is like top five all time for me. This song is truly brilliant, and, and uh, his. You mentioned his delivery earlier, and and the bending of the notes. It, it reminds me so much of George Jones. I mean, just from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I smile yeah, yeah. for the way he bends it and attacks it. It's like so perfectly wrought. And when the horns come in, it it really is like the Red Sea is parting because it's positioned so so strategically, and yet they play it with such feeling. But there is that restraint always, and it oh, this the push, pull, push, pull. Mm-hmm. Yep. Managing the managing the energy of the band. Oh my God, because they had already blown it all out. I mean, every live track. I mean, every live concert I have with the Saints from like seventy seven, seventy eight. It's just full on. Yeah, you know, right. Boom. Yes, there's a couple of tracks on the on the um, the version I've been listening to. There's a couple of live tracks at the end, yeah, and it's a, there's a distinct shift in energy. You're like, whoa, okay. Uh, it's uh, nothing to do with this album. I mean, uh, on on the recent reissue, they put these '77 tracks on there because I guess they wanted to pep it up a little bit. Or sure. Something, you know? Yeah. And it's, but. I just want to hear someone somewhere must have a bootleg or a tape of 78 the, with the horns. With the horns. Oh, yeah. I, you I know, Tom, I have that. to tell you, there's something I've been looking for, and it's uh, that I, I always think, oh, I'm going to find it this time. And it's some live performance footage of, you know, Slim Harpo, the blues guy. Slim oh, yeah. Harpo, uh, uh, Shake Your Hips, The Stones loved him. You know, they recorded two of his songs. And, you know, there's there's a lot of live footage out there of blues guys on YouTube and people you think you'd never see playing live. Slim Harpo, he was really popular, and there's nothing. Zero. It's like, it was like there was a moratorium on recording this very popular guy um, live. Not, 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 not even um, live audio or live videotapes of, of him at all, anywhere. Well, he fell through the cracks, didn't he? I mean, that's a shame, because, uh, I mean, Shake Your Hips by the Stones, right. you know, Exile. Like, I'm, your, I'm, a, kinda, I'm a King Bee, you know, that... Uh, it got difficult with that one, right. And uh, also, Pink Floyd recorded that when Sid Barrett was in the band, 65. Yep. They did that, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Look at you guys throwing out this... Uh, yeah. <laughs> scary shit. Yeah. All right, so the rec- I have the uh, album ending with this next one, which is uh, another cover. And Australian... Just how subversive is it? An Australian, you know, pseudo-supposed punk band, punk band. Uh, rocking right. out to Aretha Franklin. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, come yeah. on, in 1978. Let's listen to a little bit of Save Me. confirmation that they were making a Van Morrison record, you have them doing Gloria 
uh, with Aretha Franklin lyrics, and um, it's uh, th- I think it's their tell. I think they maybe have said, you know, this may have been like, oh, we we have to do this because it's it's an homage. It's this this feels like totally an homage to to uh, uh, to them and Gloria. And I, I think it also says a lot about the mindset of the band at the time. They were going through such, you know, dreadful emotional changes. Yeah, save me. They were blacking out. And, <laughs> and also, you know, uh, strangely enough, uh, it reminds me of an, an incident that happened about a month and a half ago. Claudia and I were in uh, on holiday on the island of uh, La Palma, which is like a little tiny island in the Canary Island Yeah, that, sounds, that sounds terrible, Tom. That sounds really terrible. <laughs> I know, right? Um, about 120 miles from the coast of Africa. So yep, I know, where, I know where it is, yes. And um, we were listening to Disraeli Gears by Cream, oh. uh, which um, which has some really good stuff on it. You know? Yes, it does. But there's a dreadful uh, performance by Clapton on this song called Outside Woman Blues, and he tries right, to sound right, right, like a person of color. Yeah, it doesn't work. And <laughs> it sounds so appalling. Yes, of course, things were different back then. They should not have been different. Uh, it, it's appalling to listen to, and it makes you cringe, and it makes you want to fucking kill me. Well, that's not the last time that feeling would come up. But yes, Blind Joe Reynolds could have been better served by a different person but singing that saying, song. When you hear Chris Bailey sing Save Me, yeah. there's no such it's, rubbish going on. It's straight from the gut. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and it's something that can't be faked, I feel like. Well, he, it can be faked, but you would, you would spot it. He's singing, he's doing him doing this song. He's not trying to do Aretha doing the song or even Van Morrison doing the song. But musically, it's definitely, um, it definitely, um, there's a wink and a nod going on. I mean, I think we've established that this is a, a, I mean, if we had a larger sample group, maybe we could have some differing opinions here. Just the three of us, of course. It's not an accurate survey. <laughs> no, I think we could uh, safely say shit. the three of us. Who, yes. Who, else, who <laughs> else has done a podcast about this record? Yeah, so the really? answer is nobody. That's true. <laughs> but, but if you listen to this album, I, I think we've uh, we've made a very strong case that it's ex- extra- exceptionally good, extraordinary. At moments, completely brilliant. Yeah, there are a couple of duff tracks, like you know, that's, that's crazy. Fine, though. And take this heart of mine. It's not the most amazing track, but then they end up with Chameleon, yeah. and then Aid Me, and when the horns come in at the end, it's like the Bombay doors open, and they drop the napalm. Yeah, man. yeah, the yeah exactly. It's just unbelievable. This, and then they keep going up. Somebody really, somebody really, really cared about those horn arrangements, and was like, because you can, you can write horn arrangements that are just sort of lackadaisical and like just accompaniment. These are definitely head and shoulders above anything like that. These are an attempt to uh, uh, um, glorify this music. They're working in service of the song and the lyric and the band. I mean, Kenny Millions over the top, great. I would love to hear that. <laughs> but Kenny was not available for the session. He was you not. Know? No, he was not. <laughs> so, and uh, it had a different outcome, you know, and uh, who knows, they might still be playing together because Kenny would say, all right, you assholes. You got to get it. There it is. Kenny Millions, Kenny Millions, Kenny Millions makes an appearance on, on that, uh, record that record got me high, high, finally, which is, our, yeah, right. our 101st well, you know, episode. Kenny played with Philip and Shane when we played uh, <laughs> Miami uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago. 
and he was fantastic, you know. And, yeah, uh, well, he is. He's 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 kind of, you know. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a he's a mild mannered performer. All right, so mannered. Uh, <laughs> Hard to coax him into something more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, talk about world weary, right? Um, all right. Plus, uh, yeah, I think there's a uh, silver alerts come out when he goes out uh, when he leaves uh, where he lives. Tom may not know what a silver alert is. He's been gone for <laughs> That's a while. True. It's on the I highway when an old person. Can, did, Tom's a smart guy. He can gets guess loose on a highway. They put a they put electronic Dude. sign out. Silver alert. Old person well, escaped. That's um, very good. Uh, yeah, I, I've lived. So long, I couldn't even think of concrete shoes. I think I said cement shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. I, cement. that's so funny. I think they're interchangeable. All right, Mr. Smith, uh, Tom, thanks so much for bringing this record to us. And uh, yeah, it, it's this happens sometimes. Records that that you feel like, oh, how did I not fucking know about this I record agree. and listen to 100%. it? So, uh, this one, see, I, I, when I have the tracks for a an episode, I'll go and find the uh, uncompressed tracks somewhere so I can make the episode sound good. And a lot of times at the end of the episode, you know, if I like the record, okay, I, I don't put it into my personal things I might listen to. This record's going in, man. This is an incredible album, yeah, and it's it it's is. a. I hate to say this is a cliche. It's a it's a lost classic. This one for sure, well, lost classic album. Hey, if sometimes well, you know, I mean, Sire passed on it. Uh, EMI didn't promote it very well. I mean, it, they all just went like, eh, I don't know, Hans. I mean, let's put our money. And then the next year, Bam. Uh, you know, releasing Madonna, you know, I mean, it's like not to shit on Madonna so much, but uh, the thing yeah, I'm is. I'm not sure it, she's, in, I don't know if she's into that. We'd have to uh, do some research. I'm pretty sure she's been into it at least once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then, uh, so, on, a, on a cheerful note. So, Tom, any uh, what's going on with uh, To Live and Shave in L.A.? Do we got... Uh, the... Well, we're touring again in September. We have a we have a really, really good lineup now with uh, Gretchen from the band Gutter Snipe. She's been a member of the band for about a year and a half now. And the last tour was just completely insane and convulsive. No exaggeration. People were losing their minds. And we were happy to be doing the tour again. And uh, I have another band with her and Paige Flash, you may know from my Ah, we know Paige Flash. We're yes, we do. We're calling Meth. Uh, <laughs> comes from, actually, it comes from New Hope Methodist, this famous church. Nice. Church, where they made a lot of children's albums, but the pastor was actually a pedophile. So, oh. like, it sounds a bit too religious. Can we just call it NH Meth? Nice. All right. <laughs> We're touring this year as well, and um, everything's great. I mean, I got a lot of stuff. That's awesome. All right. Well, it was great uh, sitting down with you and talking to you, and I really, really appreciate it. And um, you, you guys know, have an amazing podcast, and, and really, you've got a great job because I'm sure you can help turn people onto a lot of stuff by doing this. But I'm sure also, as you just mentioned, you get to hear some stuff that maybe you haven't. We do. Because you, you, you can't hear everything, you know, and you miss stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> My friend Nadim, I love him so much, and I love that he brought Swell Maps. Yeah, man. Right, she, right. That was fantastic. All right, so thanks again. All right, so next week, Barry, we well, got... Uh, ironically, doing... be, ironically, because we got Tom Smith on the, um, on the, on the horn, we're doing um, Remain in Light by the Talking Heads, because, you know, Tom put out a record um, by Petra of Immortality called Talking Heads 77. Did you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> was our first... Final slap. That's right. That's right. Uh, Talking at seventy-seven. What a what a coincidence. <laughs> that is great. Well, we didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> I was just trying to aggravate a few people. Here yeah, I think know? you did. As a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at least if, if you look, if you look for it. There's some some moron 
or lovely person uh, uh, added a, a user review to uh, Amazon years ago, and he was like, this don't sound nothing like <laughs> That's great. That's what you were going for. Um, I get People don't read the liner notes. They have. <laughs> well, so. at least you didn't. But uh, but you didn't. You stopped short of sending a hurtful uh, uh, voicemail message to uh, David Byrne. So at least you didn't do that. Uh, that we know. But that. So, so. <laughs> you're talking. No, no. no. Dan, Dan, for the polls so many times for that. Right, Dan, Dan Hosker, the late great Dan Hosker. He, did, I'm sure he did. But it was all. It was taken with good humor and in the spirit it was meant. Uh, so it's all fine. So, so next so, week we're doing uh, talking as remaining life with uh, Tom Lowry, uh, yes. uh, previous guest coming back, Tom Lowry, and also th- there's a new. Facebook I'm not going to mention the other record that Tom Lowry did because it'll just start an entire other oh, conversation God, yeah, no, with Tom. No, okay. no, it's great, but Tom, yeah, uh, we have there's a new Facebook group about the show that's been started by someone that is not me or Barry that we can't name because he's he incognito. put a pseudo name, but yeah. it's yeah, just a fan, and he started a Facebook Mark group called Guarita. This this Facebook Facebook group got me high. Yes, and apparently it's much more entertaining than our than our official Facebook. True. So go to uh, that Facebook group got me high and uh, and just. Help now what else should people do, Rob? The fans of the show, they should go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and become a patron of the show for as little as one dollar a month. You can this become sounds a so hackneyed and, and pathetic, us. doesn't well, it? You know, you, you, you gotta sell. <laughs> always be selling, right, Tom? Always be closing. Man, always be closing. Don't leave money on the table. Exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Once again, th- thanks a lot, Tom. You were, you were a great guest. Who's got the new really leads? It was really fun talking to you. <laughs> and uh, once again, that is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. This is That Record Got Me Love High. Love you, guys. Yeah, Thank you, Tom. Tom. We'll see you next week. We're out. I want you all to please take your minds out of this musical contraption. And put your minds into any goddamn church, any goddamn mosque, any goddamn celestial, including Seraphim and Cherubim. Mm-hmm. Now, we're all there now. Our minds are in those places. Here we go. Suffer, suffer for walls, enjoy for heaven, Amen. Christians go they yab, Amen. a spirit to heaviness, Muslims go they call, Allahu Akbar, suffer, suffer for walls, enjoy for heaven, Amen. Christians go they yab, Amen. a spirit to heaviness, Muslims go they call, Allahu Akbar, Amen. open your eye everywhere, Archbishop Namiliki.